what I wanted to say, Michelle, was hello and welcome. Hi. I just saw your face and started laughing. I I lost my train of thought, but what I meant to say was hello and welcome hello. to eavesdropping. <laughs> welcome, Michelle, 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 and Jordy, Jordy, Jordy. Hello. <laughs> she's Michelle. I'm Jordy. I'm tall. She's short. I'm blonde. Yeah. She's dark. Um, Basically, we're Abba. We're Abba. I'm I'm Agneta. <laughs> got the arse to prove it. <laughs> I'm Frida, who used to be my next door neighbour. Oh, she's moved. She's moved. Frida, I know. Did I know. You used to shout that over your balcony with your glass of champers in hand. Yeah, and Dancing Queen playing in the background. Oh, you didn't. What? Just trying to get her attention. Of course. <laughs> I even wanted to. I even made. Well, Andreas has been over there because he <gasps> knew the daughter. Did he need oh, to yes. tell her to please keep the tunes down? Please stop walking onto your balcony with your boobs out, lady. You're too old. <laughs> no, she's gorgeous. Yes, I'm sure. But she a real is. recluse, a real recluse. Apparently, anyway. they all are. But listen, Michelle, this is part two of our very interesting last week's episode, all about con men, con women, con people, con artists, con artists, <laughs> swindlers, fraudsters, fraudsters. What else can we call them? Tricksters, little buggers. I was about to say something worse. <laughs> Little cunts. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> the language is already coming out. <laughs> well, they are. Honestly, the more I read about these people, the mm. more I just think, how how are they allowed in society to be able to do what they're doing? How do like they, get they away with it? Yeah. Well, because they're convincing. They're, they, I mean, obviously, they're sociopaths. And yeah. they, they're just... Charming and charismatic and pretend you're, they're your it's friends. It's the charm. It's, it's the charisma. It, and you yeah. highlighted something that Melissa Caddick, who was our main story last week, would do, which is to kind of create an air of exclusivity about what she can provide. Yeah, definitely. And that's a trick. Definitely. But first, I think just before we talk about we're just going to recap the Melissa Caddick story. Um, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to last week's story. We can't recap the whole thing, but we just wanted to add a few more bits and pieces to that story that Michelle and I have found out during the last week. And I just wanted to say first, though, a couple of apologies. Oh, OK. And oh, a no. welcome and a shout out. A shout out. A shout out. Should we do the shout out first to... Our new listener, Jeremy Ferris, who listens in his car on the way to work. Hi, Jez. I'm glad that he's supporting us. And and Jez, we'll support you too. Don't you worry about it. We're here for you. Also, a little shout out to another new listener, Rachel Delahaye, amazing author. Rachel. Hello. No, do you know what? She's a a fantastic children's author. And um, yeah. Old friend, old friend from my uh, from my magazine days. Thanks for listening. We have a new member of staff, Michelle. You might remember that we we have our very reliable uh, researcher, Al Taggart. Thanks, Al, for all your help. Uh, but we do have an extra person who has just decided to help us. No strings attached, and that's a Mrs. Hannah Huggis from Coolston, Surrey. She has a little bit of time up her hands, up her hands. She has a lot oh, of no. <laughs> upper sleeves on her hands. And she was very helpful with uh, when she was listening to obviously to the episode. She was firing missives to me, which really helped me out with this week's story. 
and a oh. few titles that we have for future as well. So between her and Al, we've got it covered. Oh, Thanks, Hannah. Fantastic. Thank you. I'm excited to hear. Getting the job what done. <laughs> Apologies. Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't think I have any. Oh, well, you said Red Herry last week. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's not really Red worthy Harry. of an apologie. It's just that you didn't, you didn't manage to say the whole word. Every single week there is some kind of fucked up pronunciation. I just wanted to say that Chris Lilly, the Australian comedian who was responsible for such delights as Summer Heights High and all the other ones, he, <laughs> his show was not called Psychopaths or whatever I called it last week. It was called Lunatics and it, was, it, it came out to mixed reviews, didn't it, Michelle? But you and I it really did. liked it. Well, we enjoyed it, but yeah. yes, it was a little bit not PC enough. No, I, I thought it was a roller coaster of emotion, a bit like that Ricky Gervais afterlife. Um, yes. up and, and he can be a bit, you know, on the nose with his referencing as well, that some people don't quite like some of the things yes. he references. And same with Chris Lilly. So shall we, shall we talk about Melissa Caddick? Have you had any people coming up with any more information, Mish? Or... Well, look, I, obviously I've been keeping abreast of the case. Abreast? And... A breast. Not a, not a belly button. But yes, uh, Melissa Caddick and the Missing Millions, her mm. story continues. Yeah. So basically in the last week, um, it came out that uh, 20 years ago when she was working at a clerical job for a fund manager, the accounts department realised there was something going like dodgy going on with the accounts that Melissa was looking after. Oh. And when they examined the checks, because back then... People mm. still use checks. checks. And for our younger listeners, checks are pieces of paper. Mm. You sign <laughs> your name you would, and you write a you number. You sign your name. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But anyway, they realised they had a few forged signatures mm. on these checks. And when they uh, investigated, they confronted Melissa about it. And she just confessed. And oh. She admitted that the forgeries were hers, that she did it, did it all. But the crazy thing here, and in retrospect, obviously – the, the sad thing is that instead of reporting her to the police for fraud, the mm. fund manager just let her off and right. just quietly let her go from the job, which okay. obviously in hindsight, bad move. Because that wasn't um, then on her record because in a podcast nope. that I listened to, Michelle, they mm. were saying that it was very unusual for her to suddenly be behaving in this way because really it was only a, a period of two years between 2018 and 2020 that she stole all that money from family and friends as well, 20 million. And in the past, they couldn't find any indication of that kind of behaviour. She was 49 and you know, as you'd probably expect, somebody who's inclined to do this kind of thing would have started quite young or as soon as they were in a position of power, of financial power. Yeah, she was dodgy as fuck right from the get-go. So, yeah, yeah they've only that's only just come to okay. light. That has just come to light. Uh, basically, the police in the last week have no new evidence or knowledge about where she is, if she's alive, if she's dead, if there are more remains that will wash up. And they're also no closer to finding the miss- missing money. But um, there was a container of cash found on the coast somewhere, but I couldn't find any more information about that. That is not in any of the reports I. That was found. given to me by my uh, super sleuths, my biological father and, his, and my birth stepmom have told me this. They live in Kayama. And they also told me about that human torso that rolled up on, I think it was on a beach near Marimbula okay uh, that was ra- rather than a torso Michelle it was just 
a piece of flesh from the stomach area, hence there being a belly button attack. I know, maybe that's why it just creeped me out so much. <laughs> it was just a lump of flesh and they went, oh, With what's a, that? Oh, oh it's, it's a, a belly, belly button. button. Yeah. And that was, that was about a guy, that was a missing man, that was a homeless man who went missing. He was a 37-year-old man from Sydney who went, miss, uh, who went missing and the last place that he was was Kayama, which is where my family are oh, from. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. that's why they've got the intel. Yeah. Okay. And what about this container of cash? Like, well, they just mentioned that in passing and then like you, I couldn't find any more information. I wonder if that's just town gossip or if there's mm. some kind of fact and where we've just got the inside scoop and it's all going to get revealed Maybe. next week. But my um, stepmother did tell me some very interesting information because she was, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that she was in local politics for a couple of decades So she knows a lot, okay? This is not Mm -hmm. just somebody curtain twitching. I give her a lot of credence. I'm not going to name her just in case the bikey gangs come after her. But um, she she knows about money laundering schemes that have been active along the coast for uh, regional RSLs and other clubs like that. Now, for the non-Australian listener, an RSL club is like a retired servicemen's, like an army, old army kind of club. But actually, they're more like clubs where you would go and that's where the majority of regional uh, people would go to be entertained they'd go there and spend Friday night on the poker machines they'd go and have their dinner there with their family they'd go there for discos on Friday nights and Saturday nights and it was and the a place floor to, show and maybe a little dance a every floor now and again. show and old black eyes what was his name John English John English might turn up and do a turn exactly bingo uh, yeah. what's the meat raffles <laughs> It's all happening. That's the centre of the of entertainment for those little towns on the coast. And they're very popular. So apparently there was a scheme, which she did describe to me, but I can't remember, of um, money laundering. Because of this, she believes that Miss Melissa Caddick was actually working for an organisation right at the top. So these are, I'm thinking, if you've ever seen Underbelly, that Australian TV programme about all those bad men that usually live in... Sydney or Melbourne and they run clubs in King's Cross or football teams in Newtown. Hello, that guy from Teacher's Pet. They have probably employed her to launder money and she maybe she was that desperate to get the job done. That's why she was angling it with friends and family. And the minute that ASIC came through her, her, her house and exposed her, they were like, she, she's going to talk. She's not underworld enough. We've got to get to her. She's been knocked off by a hitman, I reckon. I don't know about the laundering aspect because that doesn't make sense to me because she was the one that needed the money laundered, not to be laundering for someone else because she was basically stealing all this money and needed to get it out through various channels. But how so, do you know she wasn't doing it for somebody else? Well, because she was taking her mate's money and her family's money. So Mm. it's not like she was taking money from, like, you know, South Coast Mafia and laundering it through her businesses. She was stealing. I don't think it's South Coast Mafia. I think it's much, much bigger than that. And I think that the police have been trying to crack this one for a long time. And that's why there's not a lot of information out there, because it's going to scupper the rest of the investigate. That's just my... No, listen, do you know what? That's, I watch a lot of Line of Duty. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. And it's coming. coming out. It's coming. It's very coming. Soon. 
I'm going to yeah. be watching the last three series back to back as soon as yeah. I get a minute. Yeah. Watch the shit out of that. Do you know what? I th- look, I think it's watch this space with Melissa Caddick yeah. because look, if you've got inside intel on this money laundering, for sure, to me it seems backwards. It's almost like I feel like yeah. she is looking for people. But look, who knows? It This case is so fucking bizarre. And like I said, I think it's going to run and run. We have not heard the end of this case, even though the police at this point have said they're basically satisfied that she's dead, but they're keeping the case open. Right. So be more. Let's, yeah, let's just see where this goes. Absolutely. Watch this space. That trainer, by the way, Michelle, was an ASICS trainer. Oh, it was an ASICS trainer. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, so oh, there was a dear. connection. Bloody hell. Fuck you. I've got a story about another lady who uh, went to great lengths to do it, do whatever she wanted, wherever she wanted, and was a bit of a fantasist. Okay. Want to hear about? Um, my story? <laughs> you don't even know her name. The notes of which I haven't looked at for about a week. So I can't remember what that name is. Her name is Leslie Manukian, actually. Michelle, I do know her name. Oh, Manukian. Now, is it Manukian or is it Manikin? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just Manukian. saying. Manukian. Right. Um, <laughs> there's a young. There was a young New Zealand boy chap. There was a young New Zealand man, let's call him, called Greg Wards, who went travelling to London, as they all do. Not just the Kiwis, the Aussies do it too. We all do. I did it. That's how I ended up here. Uh, and he went to a party and he met this glamorous um, American lady called Leslie Manukian. Leslie with a Z. Oh, She was a bit very older. 80s. Very, very 80s. 80s. But she was a bit older than Greg. She was in her late 30s. He was in his early 20s. So, Whoa. Yeah. So she basically won him over because he was a bit of an America file. He loved anything American. He loved, okay. you know, the accent drew him straight away. And, Sorry, and she, he was a New Zealander. He was a New, New Zealand Zealander. Boy. Yeah, young okay. Kiwi boy. Yep. Not young Kiwi boy. Chap. Man. Chap. A, man. a fella. Yeah. So anyway, she managed to woo him and she told him all these wonderful stories about her wild life running hip bars in Lake Tahoe and Maui and Hawaii and the million dollar trust fund that she inherited from her biological parents because she was adopted from an Armenian family, apparently. So it's all a bit shady. Oh, it's all a bit all over It's the all place. a bit convoluted. Yeah. They love it. Yeah, all yeah. right. But he fell hard and they had this intense relationship where they were partying and traveling and Greg's friends would come to bars to meet him and she'd be laying on the champagne and bringing out platters of food and they'd go to, they'd be like, oh, we can't afford all this. And she's like, it's okay, it's taken care of. So kind of built them of the facade that she was paying for all this because she's got this huge trust fund. So she's living on that. Uh, th- then they went to Disneyland Paris and Greg got down on one knee or something like that. But anyway, he oh proposed. My God. And they, she said yes. She said yes. And they moved <laughs> back to uh, Greg's home country of New Zealand where she had a dream of opening a cafe. That's not much of a dream. Big dream. I'm sorry. Dream big. <laughs> Leslie. Anyway, cafe, so they it's mo- fucking hard work having cafe. I can imagine. Well, I think she found it that ain't out. no dream. Yeah. Ain't no dream. So they went to New Zealand, and bit by bit, Leslie began to reveal a bit more about her troubled past to Greg. Uh, that 
they were apparently her biological parents were refugees from Armenia and she was estranged from them and how at one point when she was running the bar in Maui, Hawaii, there was machete wielding, wielding thugs that came in what? and threatened to kill her. She had Fucking to do a runner. Hell. Yeah. And they oh threatened to set fire to her bar in, in Maui. But every time he heard the stories, Greg would note that the details would be changing. Isn't it funny, though, that these con artists, they, I don't know why, but they build these elaborate stories in these huge, yeah, like, what is it all about? They, it's like that. And they, they can't stick to a story yeah. ever. It's their undoing. I'm right. I'm I'm keen. Keep or going. is it because people do stick with it? You know, they're so taken in, and they they want to, people want to trust so badly. They that do they'll overlook a lot of things. I think, and especially if you're in love, you don't want to believe that you're being lied to because not, that yeah. then has you question everything. So, and not just oh. that, Michelle. What kind of a world would we live in if we couldn't trust our neighbours? If we couldn't trust our husbands? You know, I mean. Got to take some things with a pinch of salt. But then at the same time, trust has got to be there in order to live a good life, I think. Well, yeah, I think so. And But you need trust in every single kind of dealing you have with anybody. You, mm. you And you have to use your intuition about things. But yeah. when love gets in the way, love makes people do crazy things. Down. And, you know, there's a reason why there's a saying called love is blind. You know, yeah. it it makes you blind to the most obvious red flags. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, her dream about the cafe was, um, or, or restaurant actually, I think it was a cafe or a restaurant in New Zealand. Even worse. Was <laughs> <laughs> so she she immediately, when on landing there, she immediately started to look into properties and they looked around everywhere, her and Greg. For Where a, was she, in Auckland? I don't remember, but I do know that they found a property in a little town called Matakana. I don't cool. know New Zealand, so I don't know whether it's North or South Island. I don't um, know Matakana. But they they found this little place and they decided this is the spot and it's going to be called the Dragonfly Cafe after her dragonfly tattoo on her back. And <laughs> because of the fact that she had such a huge amount, she I mean, she they had to go to the bank, Bank of New Zealand, to show all the details of her trust fund, how much was in there, letters from her attorney. And they were short still a little bit. They needed a guarantor. So Greg's parents decided to guarantee the £1.5 million loan. Oh, my God. God. They put their house up, everything up, their savings. They I'm sorry, but they were so the confident with Leslie's experience. And yeah, but you know what? Can I just tell you, as somebody who is with someone who has started a restaurant from scratch, yeah, you do not need 1.5 fucking million dollars to open up a, that's, a restaurant. Oz, that's or New a Zealand cafe. money. So that if you half that, it doesn't matter. No, okay, it doesn't matter. Still a lot? That is, oh my god, like that is outrageous okay well they expected that red leslie's millions red flags they yeah. expected that leslie's millions in her trust fund were also on the line so they thought well you know this is a safe bet she wouldn't be putting us in a situation and also they had their attorney meet with her and he came back with glowing reviews saying oh she's a powerhouse she's a dynamo she, oh, this is this is you know this is going to be a great move move guys and he'd been their attorney for years you know, the charisma, they know how Uniqueness, to convince people, they have the enthusiasm. Yeah. Ooh. So they opened the cafe, took glowing reviews in 2007 and were married soon after at a ceremony that appeared quite strange as only Leslie's parents were there. And they seemed very stilted and weird. Some people thought they were like 
actors. Turns out they weren't actors. They were her adoptive parents, but they were odd. They were behaving odd at the wedding. And it was hmm. it was just a very strange experience. But anyway, soon after that marriage, things began to strain between her and Greg and the cafe that Leslie had full control of began amassing unpaid bills to Ooh. her suppliers. Yep. And during this time, Leslie was becoming withdrawn and would isolate herself at home. Greg was getting a little bit worried. The parents were getting worried. They would organize crisis meetings with the accountants and money from her trust fund would fail to appear to pay the bills. The cafe hadn't even been open six months at this point, Michelle. Oh, God. And the relationship had gotten so toxic that a few weeks after the wedding, Greg had suggested that Leslie go back home for a bit to the US and have a little holiday. So they had, you know, the little farewell at the airport. Okay. And as she walked off, she said, the snowball's about to hit you. (gasps) What the fuck? Now, I got a lot of this information from a podcast called The Snowball, I think it was. It was an Australian, it's a part of an Australian anthology podcast, which... I can't remember, but I will get back to you on that one. And it was uh, it was actually done by Greg's brother, Ollie Wards, who is a – he works at Triple J, which is the oh, cool radio station in Australia for yeah. great music. So he, he's like a content producer at, at Triple J or something. Sorry, Ollie Wards, if I got that wrong. So I need to just credit him for this story because he's the one that told it. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't know this story. No one dies. There's a little spoiler. <laughs> Unlike your awful story where people people may lose died. a foot. Exactly. No one's lost a foot in this one. But anyway, so poor old Greg, he never saw Leslie again. Oh and within months, she would file to annul their marriage and Greg's parents would lose their retirement savings, their home and everything. All but the money. All everything. the money. Oh, my God. But they desperately tried to keep that cafe going. So they ended up having to work like they were retired. Dad's in there. Mum's in there. Brother's in there uh, working the kitchens. They're doing everything else. Greg's in there. They're all in there yeah, working their to, tits off, trying to save trying to their mum and dad's. Yeah. yeah. But eventually they had to sell the family home of 20 years. And that even, even that left the ward family, the, the parents, short of about $150,000 New, New Zealand dollars on the loan. Oh, my God. Oh, Greg's, my God. Yeah. This makes me feel sick. Very sad and very, very upsetting. So Greg's parents, David and Julie Wards, were left with less less than nothing. Oh, God. They were homeless. Yeah. Yep. At one point, they were even joking about, they were walking along the beach that just fell to their knees, realizing what, what they'd lost. And at one point, they looked up at some trees or in a bush on the beach and said, oh, we could always sleep there if we need to. Half joking, you know, they didn't yeah. know where they were going to end up. They were homeless and without their retirement savings. And they considered signing on for welfare and were forced to sleep in the renovated basement of Greg's aunt and uncle. Fuck. So oh, about God. 10 years have passed then when Ollie gets involved ollie being the brother he's the younger brother and he is the guy that works for triple j yep he decided to make this podcast he'd been in london and sydney working on his career in media when he decided to investigate how his family were scammed and why not make it a podcast at the same time so yes it is from the abc's flagship true crime podcast unravel okay have you heard of that no i have to check it out and it's called snowball is is ollie's particular six-part or seven-part uh, podcast 
on Brilliant. that series, which was great. So his father, when, when Ollie decided to come on board and tell this story, his father had already been doing some digging and he had loads of paperwork. And by chance, he'd actually come across a slip of paper with a password on it. And that opened up the world of Leslie's email emails. <gasps> Wow. So that's okay. when he decided, yeah, he got in there and he had a good route around. Yep. And in addition to this, Ollie also noticed the paperwork confirming her huge trust fund had been a forgery. He found this out by holding up the the paperwork from the trust fund against a Barclays Bank statement yep. where when you put them over each other, the barcodes were the same, oh. the letterheads were the same. They lined up exactly. This is so Melissa Caddick. She was doing all of this stuff as well. Tried and tested all these yeah. uh, these ways of, of duping people and then there was, there was a letter from her attorney Eric T Weiss and Ollie did some serious hard investigating for Eric T Weiss he, he looked everywhere for an attorney in the states called Eric T Weiss because there's loads of letters and emails back and forth and between um, from Eric to the parents Eric to Melissa uh, not Melissa what's her name again Leslie, Leslie. Um, he's written to everybody you know he's written to the banks he's he's all over this place all over yep. this this case sorry so he tracks down an Eric T Weiss in the states but he's not the same guy he's like no I don't know who you're talking about but you do know that I share a name with someone very famous and Ollie's like no who he said well Eric T Weiss is Houdini's real name no oh my god yeah so she right from the get-go was like fuck you guys i am the master of escape this is not her first rodeo i'm telling you oh my god so she was so charismatic that everyone trusted her. And in addition to securing the loan for her, Greg and Ollie's parents gave Leslie also $70,000 in cash to help with the startup. They're deep in, you know. Oh. And it appeared that Leslie had transferred that money from the startup loan straight back to her adoptive parents in the States, who it appeared she owed money to. Credit card bills being racked up, lots of emails from mum saying, you still owe us this money. Come on, Leslie. Um So it was revealed that she had actually in the States been previously arrested for check fraud. Okay. Again, very Melissa Caddick, except Melissa got away with it. Yeah. So Eric T. Weiss was the attorney that we've discovered now, Michelle, was the real name of Harry Houdini. He's fake. But he had also managed to secure a lucrative book deal and subsequent movie based on Leslie's life starring Alyssa Milano. So then there's all these what? emails going back and forth about back and forth about that. Oh and also God. he sent some emails to say that he was on flying on private jets with George Clooney and Julia Roberts. He oh had my a fantastic God. life, this guy. <laughs> fake, fake, fake. So that's, this is just Leslie um, emailing herself with all this yeah. shit. Yeah. God knows She how. must have just been cacking herself, just cacking out every time she's sending some rubbish mm. email, thinking, I'm so smart. Oh, what an evil witch. <laughs> so at some point, Greg who was beside himself. And by the way, he's moved on and got married and had children and has put this whole thing in in the past, despite the fact that he feels so guilty about how his parents were duped out of their home and everything Yeah, because of a mistake that he had made, trusting the wrong person, marrying the wrong person. We've all done that. Um, (laughs) But he had actually contacted police in Maui in Hawaii because she had said, as previously mentioned, she'd started a cafe. uh, She'd had a bar out there and she had these men who tried to attack her, didn't she? These machete wielding gangsters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So she, he contacted Hawaii police and strangely enough, they had a massive folder on her, which they sent back to Greg. So he gave Ollie the information and yep. Ollie flew to the States and began searching in the wreckage of Leslie's previous scams. Wow. Good on him. He's, yep. he's hungry for it. He's hungry for hungry, this story. Hungry like the hippo. <laughs> One of her previous marks told Ollie that they threw a punch at Leslie before she skipped town. This person was actually a woman who had been working on the bar. They, she had a bunch of people living and working in this bar in Maui and she had them all working for free because eventually, you know, she'd start the bar, they'd have jobs, blah, blah, blah. But she'd scammed all of these guys as well, including a boyfriend. And then there was a guy she had an affair with that she completely ripped off. Unfortunately, he's died since. Yeah, so she'd done all sorts of damage there. And the the gun wield, the machete wielding people was this girl who saw her outside a bar, one outside the bar take, like, with some takings. And she went, she just went, fuck you, bitch. My family's going to come and get you. So that was her that was how Leslie got that version of being hit upon by mafia, big, big, strong men. But it was just so it a girl. wasn't mafia. It was a girl who just wanted yeah. some fucking money because she'd yeah. been totally she, ripped. She'd got her number. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Another of her marks showed Ollie doc- court documents ordering Leslie to pay him US $65,000 for credit card debts she accumulated on limousines, nail salons, champagne and $200 dinners. Okay. So she'd been using his credit card. Fuck These now. stories were the same as what happened in New Zealand. Like bills not being paid, staff and creditors shortchanged, fake documents, forged checks and cash, cash going missing. Yeah. And oh. each time she was found out, she just moved on to a new jurisdiction. Because uh, that's what they do. Because, you know, they're, if you're clever enough to be able to do this once, you've got the blueprint of how to do it again. Yeah. So you just up sticks and go. Yeah. And obviously she owes um, her money parents as well. So she's still her like parents sending money. money. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. did I say? <laughs> she owes her money parents. <laughs> she owes her parents money. Oh, my God. I've had a very long night. So anyway, uh, then Ollie discovered a man called Cameron who had a file on him called, which he had called the Black Widow. He, he had been done over by Leslie as well. Yep. And inside this file were photocopies of checks with forged signatures, bank documents and emails. There was also a newspaper review titled The Phenomenal Story of a Great New Paso Robles Restaurant. So we're in Paso Robles now in, Northern, in Southern California and she had met this guy. Together they'd started a restaurant called Phenomenal and, of course, the exact same thing. This is 10 years after New Zealand Dragonfly Cafe. The yep. exact same thing happened except... This guy had a daughter who I think is now 18 or something. But at the time she was around 10 okay. and she was acting like her friend. But then occasionally she'd be she'd say horrible things to her. Like, do your friends give you a hard time about the mustache that you've got? And, you know, don't worry about, you know, being so ugly and all this kind of thing. She'd be oh really horrible God. to this little Nasty. girl. Yeah. So um, in this newspaper report that was talking about the new phenomenal restaurant, it also had information. You know, it said that Leslie previously ran Artsy Breakfast Cafe in New Zealand. Oh. So it had even referred back to her failed venture there. Yeah, right. So they could con- join the dots, connect it all yeah. up and find her. Yeah. So Cameron had told Ollie that he started dating Leslie because she seemed worldly, adventurous and had a zest for life. And she told her usual stories of being a successful restaurateur and within a few months had convinced Cameron to invest in this new business. Fuck. 
And of course, same old story. It started with her being in charge at first and it would go pretty well. But then the same familiar pattern resurfaced of suppliers not being paid. Yep. And all of that. So without a paper trail, poor old Cameron was blindsided. He showed Ollie records of withdrawals totaling thousands of dollars from their joint accounts. Some of them paid to Leslie's father, Andrew Manukian. Another entry recorded $30,000 made out to cash from the blank check Cameron left out for emergencies. No, don't do that. Oh, God. Who does that? Who does that? Anyway. Luckily, we don't use checks anymore, really. Cameron felt an utter fall at being drawn into Leslie's web, but chose to move on rather than see justice done. And even if he wanted to, the statute of limitations on fraud in California is only three years. Oh, shit. That's not long. Not long at all. No. But he did have a little bit of a clue about where she was because they had a linked, like a Boots card, like a pharmacy card. They had a linked card and she was still using that card. So every time she made a a purchase at this American pharmacy chain, it would pop up in Cameron's (gasps) emails, you know, £3.65 or $3.65 in da-da-da for Nair or whatever it is she was buying. (laughs) (laughs) For that moustache. For that moustache that she knows all about. So the uh, the last one was just from a few weeks prior to Ollie and Cameron sitting down to go through all this information. So Ollie's like, okay. I can get her. I'm going to find her. And yep. it was only about half a mile up the road from where Cameron lived. No. So she was. She had the balls to stay uh-huh. in the same fucking town. Yep. So Whoa. he got to the town and he was shocked to find Leslie had been working as a supermarket shelf stacker and sleeping in her car. Oh, it's all gone. She was How wet- mighty you know, have fallen. Yeah, but she it's because she was still hunting for the next victim. Yeah, She's still exactly. on the hunt. She's on yep. the hunt. Never stops. So he hadn't seen her for 10 years or more. And now he confronted her in the supermarket car park. So basically she was sitting in her car. and he Eating just, a KFC. Yep. And he just popped his head through the window with his camera crew and his <gasps> microphone. Awesome. So, yeah, there she was sitting there. Yeah. She, she was looking for a way out, apparently. I didn't see any footage. She looked like she was really um, freaked out. But she just, she sounded, I heard her. She sounded like, oh, hi. Hey, oh, Ollie, Jesus. how are you doing? Not oh a bad, God. not a good time. Not a good time to talk, by the way. Not a good time. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but he managed to slip in. I mean, he was really taken aback as well for seeing her after all this buildup and all the damage she'd done to his family. Yeah. He was really quite nervous at the end of it. And, and, and he had met with a psychologist who specializes in fraudulent behavior, people okay. who behave, you know, whether they're sociopaths or whatever. And he was warned that she would try and charm him or but what he wasn't ready for was the fact that she actually kind of blamed his parents <gasps> no yeah she blamed his parents she said she was very sad and still loved greg, greg and that they should have done more to help keep them together they oh should have helped my out more. god she's a piece of work uh when he when he he kind of did confront her with a few things like the paperwork and the eric t weiss and things like that she that's when she that's when she blamed the parents she said to be really honest ollie i blame your brother a little bit for not stepping up no nah, it's all bullshit god yeah. she's so fucking clever isn't she flipping it back yeah she wanted to sit and talk to him and maybe tomorrow they could meet up and oh no she'll be long stuff. gone don't don't yeah. wait till tomorrow no, absolutely. So she, he did agree to meet with her the next day, of course, and she wasn't there. And I think not. she did end up sending him an email or a text saying, 
just fuck off. I don't like the way that you're portraying me. And you contacted my parents when I told you not to. So please just leave me alone. Lose my number kind of thing. Don't think so. Um, I'll lose your number when you give me back the $1.5 million. Ollie has since said that at the end of my story, you find out that the con artist is the biggest victim themselves. What he did notice was, and this is what something that Cameron had said as well, all of the things that she'd pulled off, right? She had pulled off all these things. She'd opened numerous restaurants and bars, yet she didn't have the wherewithal to see it through. She could have made a success of any one of those things. But she yeah, didn't. no, because it's not in her nature to do that. She wants the quick money and she wants, you know, the thrill of it. And then she she's wants... left having to reinvent herself and move on to the next mark each time. Yeah, who knows? Mm. It'd be interesting to get to, to the like to the bottom of the psychology of that kind of thing. But... Exactly. Fuck. Well, Leslie actually has an Instagram account called Well Travelled Girl that I found. Oh my god! She's got about eighty followers, and the de- description says. She is an adrenaline junkie who craves stimulation, often leading me to exotic places. <laughs> like <Yeah>. her car. <laughs> yeah, her car and eventually jail. Like how the fuck jail. has she yeah. not been in jail? You know, I have like, no idea. That's outrageous. She's getting away with it. Is it fact or is it just my opinion? Can it be both? Actually, I think Al tipped you off to this one, but I had heard of this case before. And basically, it's the case of Anna Delvey. So, uh-huh. the fake heiress. Yep. So, it all started in 2013 when 22 year old German heiress Anna Delvey moved from Cologne in Germany to New York. And she quickly became like a trust fund it girl. So, she was known around town for having this wallet bulging with $100 bills and she was super generous with money. So she would just tip everybody with a $100 note. So if the bellboy, you know, brought up her packages, 100 bucks. Taxi drivers, 100 bucks. She was a social climbing socialite who just went to all the best parties, knew all the cool people, um, was known and seen everywhere, except her name was really Anna Sorokin. She was actually 28 years old and she wasn't even German. She was basically the daughter of a Russian truck driver. And of course, there was no trust fund. Um, Instead, she was basically ripping off people left, right and centre. And she nearly got away with it. I don't actually know when Anna Sorokin became Anna Delvey. But from 2013, when she arrived in Manhattan... It basically took her less than three years to become one of New York's big scenesters. And in that time, she made it known to everyone in New York that she was A, a German heiress, and B, on this art collecting mission because she wanted to set up this foundation with $60 million, which was in her trust fund. Basically, this trust fund, she didn't have access to it until she was 25. So she was telling everyone she's 22. So she had like three years up her sleeve to kind of get on with business. So, and this art foundation, modestly, she was going to call it the Anadelvi Art Foundation. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of a bit like Soho House. Like it was going to be part hotel, part private members club. And, you know, like this huge, like grand art foundation. 
And, you know, while she's in New York to sort out all the details, because she'd moved there, she decided she was going to live in this hotel. You know, she would stay there on and off for months. And it was this kind of new hotel called Eleven Howard. I obviously I've never been there, um, but apparently it's gorgeous, like really minimalist, Scandi design and loads of celebs like Melissa Caddick and Adele V loved the finer things in life. Like she had wardrobes full of amazing clothes, but she wasn't doing like Dior and stuff. She was more like acne and, you know, she's 22. She's wanting like kind of the cooler, the cooler brands, but she just wore designer everything, rented private planes. She paid for everything all the time, um, you know, spent loads of money on parties and dinners and personal trainers for all her friends. And everyone, like I said, got tipped with all these $100 notes. So she paid for everything in cash, except behind the scenes. She was ripping off banks, convincing investors and friends and acquaintances to give her money, um, convincing all these hotels to put her up, saying she'd pay later. She just kept getting away with it because, like we talked about before, she was charismatic, she was charming, and I think it's because people love being around money. Mm. They love being around people who they think are rich. And now, look, I've had the briefest, like, smallest of brushes with what it's like to be around people with money in New York. And it's fucking wild. I mean, it is like another world because... There's just so many rich kids with so much money. And what you kind of quickly realize is that the one thing that's more important than money in New York is connections. And somehow Anna managed to weasel her way into the heart of this closed little rich kid trust fund society. And, you know, it was weird because we were talking before about they weave all these stories. And it was the same with her. Some people thought she was a German heiress. Some thought that she had links to Russian royalty. Some Mm. thought she was the daughter of an oil baron. And she spun all the lies, didn't really tell anybody one way or another. And look, the stories were crazy, but they opened doors for her. And it turns out that she'd interned at this kind of cult fashion magazine called Purple in Paris. And for real, she actually knew like a lot of people that did open doors for her in in New York. And it and working there actually gave her this little bit of credibility. Yeah. But more than that, she just knew how to play the game. You know, she ate at all the cool restaurants, like I said, flew in private jets, dropped all the right names. Um, and because she wanted to get into art, she was going to everything like Art Basel, you know, the Venice Biennale. And she mm. just networked like crazy, dropped cash like breadcrumbs. You know, it was just insane. Do you know, it's just reminded me, did you see the Versace movie, the, the TV show? No, Sorry. no, I that didn't. Was, oh, American Crime Story or something, uh, Versace. It is so good. And the murderer of Versace did something very similar. He was oh, also really? A okay, I'll have to. Yeah. I'll have to. Have so a, interesting. I'll have to have a little watch. And I also want to say that because I read an interview with Anna Sorokin um, from last weekend's papers, and she said she had to leave Paris because she found it so boring. Because people were, you know, they, they would eat early and go to bed early and they would do too much family time. And she didn't like that. She wanted to go to New York where the city never sleeps. Uh, and, but do you know what? She's just a little cunt. Anyway, um, <laughs> really, like I cannot stand this woman. She is 
the worst of the worst. She's just come out of Rikers Island and she doesn't have a single iota of remorse. No, and I'll get on to that because she. this is why I just think she's a revolting person. The thing about her and this art foundation was everybody loved her idea. They were really interested in it. And, you know, and it's because it's right up, like, rich people's street, you know, like it's exclusive, members only, you know, Soho House had done so well everywhere around the world. And, you know, she created this like slick brochure, which she never paid anyone for. But anyway, and it sounded really legit. And, you know, she was going around saying she had pieces from Cindy Sherman and Helmut Newton and people were really excited by this idea. And it was all going to happen as soon as she turned 25 and got full access to her trust fund, right? Mm. Problem in the is, meantime, she needed little handouts to help oh, her yeah. until then. Yeah. She needed money before then to get mm. the project off the ground. She said she had 25 mil, but she needed another 25 mil to get it going. So she started hunting for investors. And like any good scammer, she convinced everyone that her trust fund was real and this project was going to happen. And the thing is, because she was living this crazy rich lifestyle, people believed her. And I don't even know how she did this, but big banks from all around the world gave her loans. They gave her money and they gave it to her because she constructed this kind of really elaborate web of lies, deceptions, forgeries. And she'd tell everyone different stories about how she got all her personal assets and they were all tied up in international banks and she couldn't access them. And somehow she kind of got it. And the weird thing was, kind of like what you were saying about Leslie Manukian, she had a uh, a financial advisor, a dude called Peter W. Henneke, and um, people were getting emails from him. And uh, they were sent from an AOL email account. Right. Yeah. yeah. So totally fucking dodgeball. And in fact, there was this one time when a banker at um, City National Bank asked to see her UBS bank statements to check whether or not she was legit with all this money. Um, And uh, he got this email from this AOL account from Peter W. Henneke. And the email said something like, oh, you know, please use these um, uh, projections for, you know, you know, these statements for your projections. We'll send the physical statements next week. And the banker was like, "Uh, who the fuck are you? Are you from UBS? Uh, because of the dodgy AOL account. And Anna was like, oh, Peter's the head of my family office. Anyway, dude was like, mm, no, he was one of the smart ones. Didn't actually give her the money. And I think... I mean, she could have just got a Delvey.com, a, you know. I know. that. I know. And but this is actually where the story started to unravel for her. Yeah. Because, um, first of all, that banker was like, who the fuck is this woman with like trying to scam money with an AOL account? And then her cash ran out. So, look, she'd made friends with the concierge, uh, this girl, at the Eleven Howard Hotel. And, look, I say they were friends, but really they were just using each other. You know, the concierge was getting a $100, you know, bill every time she talked to Anna. And Anna was lonely and needed friends. So they kind of, like, used each other. And it was just a weird veneer of a friendship. But then... One night, um, Anna took Neff, this concierge, out for this dinner. And when the bill came, none of her credit cards worked. And this concierge ended up having to pay for the meal. And she was a bit like, "Mm, okay, well, I know Anna's rich. I know she's good for it. And eventually Anna gave her the money. But then 
the hotel went to this girl, Neff, and said, listen, Anna, we don't have a, a credit card on file for her. She hasn't paid a single bill in months. She's racked up more than 30 grand in like hotel costs. Uh, if she doesn't pay up, she's going to get kicked out and she couldn't pay up. So they basically locked her out of the hotel room and put all her stuff in storage in the hotel and said, you know, when you pay up, you'll get your stuff back. And I mean, and she had good shit, you know, she wanted those clothes and shoes and everything, Mm. but she literally didn't have the cash. And then there was this thing about Morocco. She decided she Mm. was going to take all her friends to Morocco. She took one friend, didn't she? She took um, this girl called Rachel, Rachel Williams and also her personal trainer. Now, the personal oh, okay. trainer got sick two days after and flew back. But this girl, Lucky Rachel, escape. Oh, yeah. But this girl, Rachel Williams, who actually was a photo editor at Vanity Fair. Yes. She went to and stayed in like this huge. All expenses paid. All expenses paid. Yeah. Yep. yep. She went along and. Like what happened to this poor concierge, at the end of the trip, none of Anna's credit cards worked. And this girl um, had to basically use her Vanity Fair expense account to pay for everything. So a lot of money. Yeah. And it was like $62,000. That's right. And that was like not even a week. It was like five days or something. Mm -hmm. So it was a fuckload of money. You know, she was, look, she wasn't worried initially because she was like, Anna's rich, I'll get the money back. But it just never came back. And this girl eventually went to the police. And this is again where, like, Anna Delvey's story started to unravel. Like I said, like, Anna's world, basically, after Rachel went to the police, was fucked. And all the hotels, because she'd stayed, after she got kicked out of Eleven Howard, she was going around to all the hotels in New York Mm. trying to find somewhere to stay. And they were all demanding payment, you know. Then the New York Post wrote this really fucking damning, like, article about her. So the scam was up, you know. She was all over the press. Everyone knew they'd been ripped off. She was basically taken into custody at this point. And then... During her trial, her lawyer, Todd Spodek, um, took this really weird approach. And he started off by saying, any millennial will tell you it's not uncommon to have delusions of grandeur. And he said this in his opening remarks, right? So he's basically trying to say she's a millennial. She's a millennial and she wants everything. I mean... And then he said, there's a little bit of Anna in everyone. Everyone lies a little bit. Oh, my God. What the fuck? This is her lawyer. So, anyway, she was charged with grand larceny and theft, to which, insanely, she pleaded not guilty. And she maintained her innocence throughout the whole trial, insisting it was all just a misunderstanding. Look, she asked to be released on bail, but the court said no. And like you had said, she was sent to Rikers Island Prison, where she stayed um, after, this was after she got, like, arrested until she stayed in Rikers until the trial began. And this was in New York at the end of March in 2018. And her trial was a fucking circus because she was obsessed with how she looked. And there were days she wouldn't even turn up to court because they'd given her clothes to wear. And she's like, I'm not turning up unless it's Mew Mew. So <laughs> she, I mean, this did not go well down well with the judges yeah, sure. and she just wanted to look good because she was being you know photographed and whatever but on the 26th of April like I said she was found guilty and sentenced to at least four years in prison now 
because of COVID and good behaviour, this bitch did not even two years. And she was released last Mm. week. Like, I guess where she's staying right now. Oh, which fucking hotel is she in? The Nomo. What's it called? Nomad? Nomo? I can't oh remember what it's called. Some fancy God. hotel in, in wherever, New York. And the, the parole officers aren't happy about it. Of course not, because it's all fucking scam. And what's more, she was paid $320 US by Netflix because they're making her story. And actually, the girl from Ozark, you know, the, the blonde one, the I little blonde it. girl. Oh, she's amazing. Anyway, she's going to play her in the story. Okay. So, I mean, she apparently wasn't allowed to keep all the money and a lot of the creditors got paid back. But Oh, good. No, but the thing is, the court said that she'd swindle people out of around $275,000. But the thing is, the real estimate is much, much higher than that. It's yeah. just that, a lo- you know, loads of her, like, high-flying wealthy victims – They just fucking wrote off the debt because they're embarrassed. Mm. They just don't Mm. want to get involved. Like I said, she's such a fucking sociopath. She honestly believes she's done nothing wrong. And she basically said in an article that I read that the prosecution at the trial totally misrepresented her motives and basically made up that she was seeny and posing as an heiress. And then she said, you know, what happened between me and the financial institutions is our business. How dare anyone else get involved? She was ripping people off. That's why people got involved. And then she had apparently also said, like when a journalist had said to her, you know, um, when did Anna Sorokin become Anna Delvey? And she's like, I was always Anna Delvey. And she says she doesn't regret what she did. And she says, because regret's not the worst, not not the right word, because she said regret implies sadness. And she said she's not sad about what she did. And look, I actually saw some footage of her at the court and she was a fucking monster. Like when the allegations were being read, she was there smirking, rolling her eyes like, what am I even doing here? She is outrageous. And then I saw this interview with a BBC, that a BBC journalist did with her a few days ago. And the journalist said to her, you know, did you get a thrill with, do you get a thrill from getting away with this and not Mm. paying for stuff? And, you know, basically living this lifestyle on other people's dime. And she was like, no, because I never thought I was cheating. And she said, I'm not manipulative. And she just said, she told people what they wanted. She No, she told people what she wanted. And if they didn't give it to her, she just moved on to the next person who would give her what she wanted. Right. Never stopping until she got her own way. No. And look, for me, I just, I just feel like, you know... This story shows that in a place like New York, because there's so much wealth and so much privilege, if you can make people believe that you're one of them, and if you can distract them with like promises of even more money, then that's what they're going to see, you know. If you can make it there, you'll make it anywhere. Exactly. And look, I look, I know it's hard to feel sorry for big banks and luxury hotels who got ripped off when people, yeah. you know, in the planes. Yeah, when people in the Bronx and the projects, just a stone's yeah. throw away from these hotels, are like fucking barely being able to put a meal on the table. And it does seem ridiculous. But the fact that she barely served a sentence, she's out after not even doing two years mm. and I is find making. That shocking. It is yeah. shocking. And now she's making a Netflix series. She's got a yeah. reality TV show, she's got book deals. And she hasn't even been deported. This is fucking mystifying. I think she is facing uh, deportation. I fucking hope so. But yeah. but what I want to talk about 
in light of this story is like, what does this say about our society? Yeah. You know, but that we reward people who steal and lie and cheat and who aren't sorry and don't even believe that they did anything wrong. You know, like, is this a reflection of like this inward looking culture that we have where, you know, how things look matter more than how things really are? Because, you know, there's this whole generation on Instagram where their Instagram life is nothing like their real life. And the lines are blurred. And it's, you know, it's that life that's not a lie, but it's not the truth either. And then even when most people kind of post about, oh, I've got this like mental health crises or post pics of themselves like hashtag no makeup, that's not even real because it's all fucking edited, right? We Mm. live in this edited world and you know everyone's marketing themselves as a personal brand and you know whether it's for pity or applause or more likes or comments it's it's just weird and I feel like that's what Anna Delvey was doing but in an extreme way you know she pretended this life on a way grander scale with other people's money and she got rewarded for it she's still being rewarded for it and there's just so many fucking layers to unwrap here it just makes me sick but you know it just makes me feel grateful for like a simple life really a a small life where I know what's real and I know you know that I and you don't have illusions of grandeur you can just carry on as you are and you I think you're living a pretty amazing life Michelle up there in that mountain I do have a great life champers popping corks popping oh look you gotta enjoy you gotta enjoy a bit but you know I do I do feel like what's happening with Anna Delvey is fucking shameful you know yeah but I will probably watch the Netflix documentary because I'm interested (laughs) you know so it's like I am buying into it it just oh anyway that is the story of Anna fucking Sorokin well done Michelle that's our episode in a nutshell. Two ladies and the third one, which we did we covered last week. Yeah. Up to no good. God, I didn't sort of realise it was all ladies. It was women. Shady ladies. Shady ladies. Oh. We could come back to this, you know. I think there's a few more con- conning stories we could cover. Well, look, I'm going to go right now. Absolutely. Me too. Let's go. Let's go. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. Oh, hang on. I just want to ask people to send us an email. Oh. Just say hi. Yes, please. And hello. Do. Dot. Hang on, you tell it. Oh, hello at eavesdroppingpodcasts.com. And also, thank you. We've been putting some stuff on the socials. Please like, share, subscribe. We've, we've got to get the word out there. We've got to spread the eavesdropping word because uh, we've got a few things up our sleeves we that do. we can only do with some extra listeners. We love you, existing listeners, but we want more. Anyway, love yous. Love you too. Okay, bye bye. Eavesdropping, dropping, 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 dropping,